Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that I might not have met, my name is Peter Samine. I used to work here. Um, about a year and a half ago, I retired from Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church as lead pastor. I hope there are some people in the room who do not know who I am. Uh, and I say that because in a year and a half, shouldn't we have collected a few new people in this congregation? New people should be worshiping here, have no idea who I am. Uh, and after today, you'll go, oh, man, I'm glad I missed that bullet. That was great. But uh, retirement's been great. Some things have changed in my life. So like one of the things that have changed last year and a half, cheaters. What do you think? Huh? Somebody said the other day, you look a lot smarter. I said, if I would have known that's all it took, I would have got these a long time ago, you know, but... And there's less of me to look at than there used to be. Can you tell? Like 30 pounds less, huh? Yeah, that was a New Year's resolution, so that's over with. Uh, Go back to my old self again. Uh, It's great to be back at Elmhurst Church and to preach and to be a part of uh, this congregation. Becky and I still worship here regularly. We sit back there at 1030 in what I call the Becky section. Um after 45 years of ministry where we never sat together in worship because she didn't want anybody to know that she was my wife. Uh, Now we sit together and we just kind of go in and sneak out the side door and boom, we're like regular worshipers now. It's a great thing. Um, You know, you have a lot of great experiences that way, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, And I don't know, how many of you pay attention to sermon titles? Anybody? They're like worthless if you're a pastor. They don't really mean that much. But did you look at today's sermon title? Nothing new? Get it? You get nothing new today. You just get the old guy back again. I am a, I am a goal setter. I, I do make resolutions. Um, and I think that churches that want to continue to grow and have an influence in the world need to set resolutions as well. And, and they have to be based on our vision and our mission and our purpose in life. If we want to be shining light and living water, what are we going to do in 2019 to do that? So a goal that this congregation has adopted for 2019 is this whole Explore God initiative. 850 churches in the Chicagoland area all rowing the boat in the same direction, trying to influence people to come to know uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through a kind of unique way of doing things, right? So the idea is to have small groups of discussion groups where you discuss these deep questions that everybody kind of has but has no place to talk about them, right? Is there a God? What's the purpose of life? If there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Questions that we have as believers and others have as well, and there's great resources. Um, And so we're going to get people together to do this, and it's going to be launching next week. You'll be hearing a lot about it. I was in a church yesterday in Wheaton, which doesn't narrow it down. There's about a million churches in Wheaton. But I was at one of them. They got the big Explore God thing out front. Uh, They're on board. It's good to be a part of it. It's good to know that you're part of a team together, and we're working on that kind of resolution together. But just to to remind you, this Explore God thing is not new. Explore God has its roots in the book of Genesis. And you can trace the ideas of Explore God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. In every book of the Bible, we're encouraged to explore God in one shape or form or another. For instance, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, It says that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I can identify more with Abram now than I ever could before, because Abram's in his retirement years. He's kind of ready to kick back, get the retirement condo, just relax, have coffee once in a while, go play some golf, take some vacations, whatever. Abram's in the retirement years. He's 75 or 80 years old. And God comes and says, hey, look, I've got an assignment for you. And the first part of the assignment is startling, right? You're going to be, you and Sarah, you're going to be the parents of a nation. Which had to strike them as interesting seeing at age 75 or 80, they had no kids yet. I mean, how's that going to happen? How are we going to be the parents of a nation? We have no children yet. And we're going to be the parents of a nation? How's that ever going to come into being? And then did you also notice what it says? Where it says that uh, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. Not like you're going to start at point B. Here's point C. Get your Google map out. There'll be complete directions. Take the right turn, the left turn. It's going to show you exactly. No, 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 no. Pack up all your stuff, everything you own, and just go. And have faith that I'm going to show you where you're going to land as a family. Abram and Sarah had no children. They had no place to go. But they were blessed. And they were blessed to be a blessing. Now, what was this blessing that they were given? The blessing is what we call a covenant relationship with God. And when we talk about marriage, we talk about a marriage covenant. Two people becoming one, the Bible explains. And you're locked together, and one moves, the other moves. You, can't, you don't separate from one another. Now, those of us who are married, we've been married for 45 years, we know that we, you know, we're here frequently, but there's a lot of this and this that goes on, and sometimes we kind of get awkward with one another, and one of us retires and annoys the other one because we're home all the time. I, I heard about that happening to other people's families. But, but, you, but you're trying to get back here. This is the ideal. This is what God wants you to do. And that's the relationship that God has established with us. It's a covenant relationship. We are one with him. The two have become one. And that was the blessing that Abraham and Sarah received. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth, all the peoples on the earth, will be blessed through you. Now, we talk a lot about blessings, right? We've been blessed. We just went through a whole season of talking about blessings. I mean, think about it. You start at Thanksgiving, and your whole focus is on all the blessings that you've received. Thanksgiving, right? Food, friends, family, home, shelter, jobs. We start to count our blessings, all the blessings that we've received. And we say, man, we are so blessed. And then you move from Thanksgiving to Advent time to Christmas. And now you're remembering again all the great blessings that you have. You know, the greatest blessing, right? The birth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to come and live among us as Emmanuel. But all the other stuff that goes with it. It's just like six weeks of straight blessing fest. That's next year's goal we're going to have here, Blessing Fest. So these blessings that we talk about all the time, but you rarely hear people talk about blessings when things don't go well in their life. Seldom do we hear the phrase, 
I am so blessed with this terminal cancer diagnosis. It's amazing how blessed I am to receive that. Or our marriage is really in trouble right now and we probably are going to get divorced. I am so blessed. Our kids have some real issues in their life and it's putting stress in the whole family structure. I am so blessed. That's not the language that we use. We're blessed in our minds when things are going well. When things don't go well, we don't think we're so blessed anymore. The news is this. That's not what the Bible teaches. We are always blessed. We are always blessed with the covenant relationship that we have with God. And circumstances and situations and illness and difficulty and turmoil can't separate us from that relationship. We're blessed with a covenant relationship with God that regardless of our circumstances is always, always, always there. At one point God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, period. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Not if you do this, this, and this, 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 and this. This is God's covenant promise. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and nothing can separate that. And so with the people of Israel, you know, when they were slaves in Egypt and things weren't going so well for them, they were still blessed. When they were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years and didn't know where they were going to go and if they are ever going to reach that destination of promised land, they were still blessed. When they had their own nation, it was conquered by foreign powers and they got exiled to other nations. Guess what? They were still blessed because the blessing that God gave Abram and Sarah and everybody else was not about circumstances and situations. It's about the relationship they could never take away. And they were blessed with that blessing so they could be a blessing to others, not to share everything else with them, although that was part of what the blessing was. But the major thing you were to do is to take that blessing that relationship and share it with other men and women. So you're familiar, perhaps, with this song that Matt Redmond wrote years ago called uh, Blessed Be Your Name. And that song reflects the very thing that I'm talking about here. Verse 1, Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Okay, so the focus there is, hey, when things are great, the land of the plentiful and the crops are good and everything's good in my life and the paychecks are coming in, my retirement account is fine, our relationships are great, when our life is when abundance flows, woo, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen, right? Is anybody out there? Amen. Man, what have you done here, client? I'm gone for a year and a half. You know, they used to pay attention. They probably want me to sing this song. Uh, yeah. Verse 2. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness. When things aren't great. When there's difficulty and pain and troubles. When I'm so parched that I don't know if I can, can even keep going. When the world is so dark, no light can penetrate. We've all been there. And you know what you say when that happens? Blessed be your name. Because that relationship with God is never gone. In fact, that's the very thing that keeps us going when the darkness comes. 
Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Easy. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still, still I will say, blessed be your name. And that blessing of that relationship, of that covenant thing with God, that intimacy is not something we're supposed to hoard for ourselves. You know, we kind of fall into this trap of once I have salvation, that's all God really cares about. And if I've got my personal salvation, job done. That means no. Our personal salvation and our relationship with God is something that we're expected to then pass on to other people. It's our blessing, but we're to give it to other men and women. It isn't something that we just keep to ourselves and that we're excited about ourselves. You're blessed to be a blessing. In Psalm 72, David writes about a new king that's going to be crowned. And it's a prediction of the king of kings. So I'm going to read this white part. I want you to read the yellow part. uh, May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all the nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. It's not going to happen unless we're sharing the blessing. It doesn't just happen because we think it's a good idea. (laughs) But all the nations will be blessed through the blessing that we've received and that we share with any other men and women. He was lost. Not directionally, he knew where he was going and how to get around, but he was still lost. Not financially, because he was the richest guy in town, but he was lost. Not socially, although... He may have also been the most hated man in town. He still had some acquaintances. And he was lost morally and ethically because much of the money that he had garnered for his life was stolen from other people or extorted. He was lost and he didn't even know he was lost until Jesus came to town one day and the light went on. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus sitting up in a tree and he said, hey Zacchaeus, I'm coming to lunch at your place today. We're going to have a little conversation. We're going to explore God together. And they had this conversation. And as Zacchaeus and Jesus walk off to Zacchaeus' home to have lunch together, the religious leaders are kind of looking and going, hmm, Jesus is taking off with Zacchaeus. What religious leader, what truly spiritual person would hang out with a guy like that? None of us want to be affiliated or associated with Zacchaeus. In fact, as a religious leader, my my reputation could be tarnished if I'm with someone like that. Jesus had an answer for him. I mean, you heard him grumbling in the background. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Period. That's all he said to him. And in that short phrase, we find out Jesus' purpose in being alive. 
His purpose and mission was to seek and save the lost. It wasn't to hang out with the saved, although saved people are a good group of people. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose wasn't to attend denominational meetings or to teach at a seminary or to lead Bible studies or to go to worship all the time. Those aren't bad things, and he probably would do them if he was around today, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose in life was to go out and to seek and to save the lost. And if you lead the Gospels, that's what you see him spending 90% of his time. He's not going to do that other stuff. Because his purpose was to seek and save the lost. I mean, he would probably go to worship. He probably would do Bible study. I mean, I don't think he'd go to denominational meetings because who wants to do that? But other stuff he would do. But his laser beam purpose was to seek and save the lost. Now, it's a little hard for me to believe. Jesus was a rabbi. He had disciples who were followers of his. And if you were a rabbi... And you, you said, I'm a disciple of that rabbi. You, you were simply to imitate everything they thought and did and saw in life. That was what you wanted to do. I just want to imitate them. I want to be just like them. And so for three years, 12 did that. And at the end of those three years, after Jesus' arrest, torture on the cross, burial, and resurrection, those 11 who were left still didn't get the purpose of the rabbi. Because in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus makes his first appearance to them after the resurrection, this is what they had to say. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to build your kingdom now? Are you going to make Israel like it used to be under King David, where we were the most powerful, richest nation in the world? Are you going to get rid of the Roman oppression? Is is it now it's going to happen? Now that you're resurrected, is now when it's going to happen? I mean, we all kind of like our kingdoms, right? We like the kingdom of a good job. We like the kingdom of a good family. We like the kingdom of a good income. We like a kingdom. We all like to create our little kingdoms. We love our kingdoms. And Jesus' answer was, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As Christ followers, we have inherited the purpose of the rabbi. Our purpose is not just to gather on Sunday mornings, although it's great to gather on Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong. But our purpose is to seek and save the lost in whatever way, shape, or form we can. And now he's saying that we simply need to be witnesses. Now, uh, if you're a lawyer uh, and you do trial law and you're in a courtroom, you know that there are always witnesses, right? And there are good witnesses and bad witnesses. I mean, eyewitnesses, by percentage, are totally unreliable. They like are really unreliable eyewitnesses. They change their stories. All. Have you ever played telephone where you start a message here and then it goes down the aisle and by here it's like, hey, let's go to lunch after uh, church on Sunday morning. And here it's like, yeah, I'm going to give Mac a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's going to change because we're notoriously unreliable reporters of what we saw or heard. Eyewitnesses are, you know, they're either a good or a bad witness. We're called to be a good witness. 
Now, whether you want to be or not, doesn't make any difference. Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Now, you're either going to be good or bad, but you are my witnesses. You're it. That's what I got. Seek and save the lost. Your witnesses to Jesus. So now, some of you might have heard that uh, at the end of November, maybe early December, I got a new gig. I am the assistant varsity girls basketball coach at Timothy Christian High School. So I spend my afternoons with these lovelies right here. huh? Now, Becky's watched a million basketball games because I've coached a lot of basketball, and she's watched her kids play. She's coming to watch to make sure I'm not embarrassing her when I'm coaching, that I'm being a good witness of what a great husband I am. And her evaluation of the team after watching play a couple of times is this. They win the cutest award. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for as a coach. They're cute, you know? But I, I, you know, I love coaching. These are great girls. I love these girls. I love coaching. I hadn't done it for several years. I'd been out of it for a while until I got back into it. I didn't know how much I missed it. I'm having a great time doing it. But what we tell these girls from Timothy Christian School is that when you play with Timothy Christian across the front of your jersey, you are a witness to what Timothy Christian is all about. You may be the only exposure that anybody has to what it means to be from Timothy Christian. You may be the only public relations tool that Timothy has to communicate what Timothy is about. So you might want to be a good sport when you're on the court. You might want to use good behavior. You might want to play hard together. You might want to be a good teammate. You might not want to sulk. You might not want to complain to the referees. That's not what we do. Because we're asking you 14 to 18-year-old girls to be a witness of what it means to be from Timothy. That's heavy stuff for 14 to 18-year-olds. But that's not as heavy as what else do we ask them to do. It doesn't say Timothy Academy. It says Timothy Christian. So when we play other teams and there's people in the stands, both of them. Okay, not many people come to watch girls basketball, okay? It's a very sexist thing in our nation. And I intend to change it. <laughs> By the way, we have home games you can come to. It's right over there. Doesn't cost much. If you come, I'll pay your way in. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big spender. It's about two bucks a piece. Never mind. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that Becky hates to hear me say. You know, that's not the only stuff she hates to hear me say, but that's one of the things she hates to hear me say. But when you ask those girls to go out on the court and say, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what a Christian teammate looks like. You're not going to quote Bible verses. You've got to play hard, use your gifts, be a supportive teammate, respond well to your coaches, be a good citizen. Because if you don't think people are watching, you're nuts. They want to know what it means to be a Christian. They got their idea. Are you going to Affirm their idea or change their idea? When I worked at this church in Traverse City, next door there was a restaurant. I weighed 30 more pounds then. So there was a restaurant right next door. And I'd go there three or four times a week. I'd make friends with the wait staff there because I was always engaging them in conversation. We would all be having a good time together, da-da-da-da-da. So I made friends with this one woman who was on the wait staff there. Her name was Dawn. She was a single mom, had three kids. I mean, I'm always fascinated by that. That, to me, is amazing. You're a single mom with three kids. You're raising your three kids as part of a wait staff at a breakfast, lunch, restaurant. I'm not sure what's harder in the world to do than that. 
You know, so we'd ask, I, so one day I said to Don, I said, so Don, what's the worst day of the week to work? Without hesitating a millisecond, she said, Sunday. Sunday? This place is packed on Sunday. She says, exactly. Nice to be busy, but they all come from church. Church people, Don said, are the worst. They're the worst customers we have. They're extremely demanding. They never like what we bring them. It's never quite right. They send stuff back. More than anybody else, they're the worst. I mean, not the people from your church, Rev, the other churches in town. Yeah, I want names. So, and she says, you know what else is worse? They're the worst tippers you've ever experienced in your life. I get tips from people who just came from, what are you teaching these people who just came from church? Their tip is to write a Bible verse on the bulletin with a smiley face that says Jesus loves you and walk out. That's my tip. Now I've taken that bulletin to the grocery store and tried to buy my kids food and they will not take it. I would never go to church. And I've had it with this Jesus thing. Smiley face, Jesus loves you. Somebody was being a witness. And Dawn was getting the message. It wasn't the message that you wanted to send. It wasn't the message I wanted to send. It wasn't the message I want to be a part of. But, don't, but people were being a witness. From Genesis to Revelation. I mean, you go through the book of Acts, you see the Apostle Paul, he's written 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He's talking about the church, about, you know, they got to live in unity, they got to have good marriages, they got to have good morality, they got to have good ethics. That, the purpose of that was to clean up the church, but not just for that purpose. The purpose of that was to clean up the church because they were a witness to what it meant to be a Christ follower. We need to get our act together as a body of Christ because everybody's watching to see what it means to be a Christ follower. Are we a good witness or are we not? That's why the Apostle Paul wrote that stuff. It's all about being a witness. So I've got an Explorer God group that I'm in. I became one of those guys when I retired. You know, one of those old guys who goes to the same group of guys every morning, has coffee and solves the world's problems. I'm one of those guys now. Sit around a cup. I said I'd never be one of those guys. Full-fledged member, baby. Lifetime. We'd sit with like four or five guys. We solve all the world's problems. I can guarantee you that tomorrow we will be the smartest coaches the, boy, the Bears have never hired. We will know all the mistakes they made, what they should have done, who, who should be playing, what strategy they should have used. We are the best Monday morning quarterback. I mean, and the politics... If people would just listen to our solutions, we'd have a much better country. So in my morning group is this guy who's like, he was a philosophy major in college, and I'll tell you why you know that. He says, I am intellectually an atheist, but I am emotionally an agnostic. So good luck with that, Rev. Another guy in our group uh, well, I'm a believer, but I don't really believe in or like organized religion. I mean, I invited him to come here several times, and I said, you know what, Elmer's, we're not that organized. You'd fit right in. It'd be great. <laughs> Never came. Another guy grew up in a very uh, devout Christian home that was just too narrow for him. He's had a lot of bitterness about that. He grew up in a town where the culture was known to be, you know, really Christian. Ugh, he hated that. Too much hypocrisy. He wants nothing to do with the church or Jesus anymore. 
And then I have another guy. These are the hardest ones in my mind. He's just a good guy. I'm a good guy. I do a lot of good stuff. I give money away. I help serve the poor. I do it. I'm a good guy. But they're going to be the guys in my Explore God group where we're just talking about questions that everybody has about Jesus. And we'll still be able to coach the Bears at the same time, which few people can do. You should be in an Explore God group. You should have an Explore God group. You should pray for our Explore God groups. This is what, this is what, we're, what, what God wants us to be doing right now. Remember Dawn, the, the single mom from the omelet shop? Three kids at home trying to support it by herself. I'm in my office one day in Traverse City. My receptionist calls in and she says, there's a woman here. She's a complete mess. She's sobbing. She's in tears. She says she needs to see you, but she doesn't have an appointment. And I responded very pastorally. Oh, I got so much to do. So I said, well, who is it? She says, well, she says her name is Dawn. So I go out to the lobby and, I, and the sure enough is Dawn from the omelet shop. She's sobbing. She's a mess. She comes... Take her back to my office, and the first words out of her mouth were these. And she told me kind of what the tragedy was that had happened in her life, and she said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I had no place else to go. You know how many people there are out there in the world that have no place else to go? They're your neighbors. They're your colleagues, the people at the restaurants. They're all around us. People who have no place else to go, who are waiting to somehow understand this covenant relationship that we've been given and we've been blessed with so that we can be a blessing, so that we can be a witness. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all your good gifts to us. We thank you that you love us so much that you established this covenant relationship with us and you've blessed us with it. And we want to be a blessing. And so we're going to keep our eyes open and our ears attuned to what you show us and what you tell us so we can be witnesses of your love and your grace and your mercy. And all God's people said, amen.